Now, the truth is that God always, in every circumstance, does something new. That's right, technology is the same, human nature is the same, but God does something new. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are studying Isaiah 43 to 44 today. Very interesting. Corey is here with Ryan, and they've done some segments today. Corey? Well, Isaiah talks a lot about idolatry here, so I'm going to be focusing in on one aspect of ancient idolatry. Ryan? Well, today I'm basing my segment off of Isaiah 44 and doing a study on how ancient idols were made. All right, that's an interesting study, and uh, idols are very they're fascinating and they'd say we don't have idols today but they're wrong that's going to be interesting janice today we're going to be talking about witnesses all right very good so take your bible guide and get it out and let's turn to today's passage and the bible itself the most important book of all let's listen to what god is saying to us isaiah 43 Verses 13 through 26. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins, and you have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 13 through 26. Isaiah 
Isaiah chapter 43 and 44. That's what we study today as we read through the Bible. And uh, that's important to remember as we're going through the Bible in one year. It's very exciting to see that. But we're going to focus today on Isaiah 43 verses 13 to 26. And this becomes important because as we look at this, we need to ask the Lord to help us, even though we may doubt it at times. God is dealing with everyone on the planet, everyone. History shows us that just as with people, there will be nations who reject God and other nations that embrace him. Regardless, God works. We are currently living in a time of tumultuous world history. In fact, our global politics have even been described as highly agitated. As people of God, it is part of our calling to look beyond the circumstances and choose not to fear. Don't fear, because our trust is in God who can help us through. Our strength to live life for God and trusting in his plan is helped along by God himself. Faithfulness is a unique fruit of the Spirit. It is a consistency, a steadiness, an absolute resolution. When we are called to become God's people, we are called to trust in him forever, no matter what our circumstances are and no matter what the world circumstances are. Now, this is really important and we need to pray because we're going to listen today to the Lord about unfaithful Israel. Father, I pray today as we open up your word, as we hear what you've said, help us to adjust our hearts because you've told us this. You've made sure that we would hear this. And so, Lord, we want to hear from you. We trust in your spirit to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, be with everybody now who is believing in Jesus Christ and loves the Lord and help them to hear you. And those who don't believe in you, Lord, touch them and bring them to your word today and bring their souls to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, let's look at the scripture because this is interesting, okay? Indeed, indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. No one. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives. The Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, the Holy One, the creator of Israel. In fact, I am your king. Now, this is interesting because God will repay those who come against his people. I just want you to look at that. Leave it on the screen. I want you to understand what this Bible, the Bible says here, Isaiah's words. God will repay those who come against his people. He will. We don't have to repay. God will. The Lord's justice is holy and perfect. God does things correctly, beloved. So we need to understand that, especially right now in the world. And there's a lot of persecution going on. And we just need to realize that Regardless of that, God, in Revelation 19, we see this, God is going to judge on behalf of everybody who was persecuted for his name's sake. Now, 
Let's pay attention to that because we won't be judged. Isn't that great if we love the Lord? Now, Isaiah 43, verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and the path through the mighty waters. Now, did you see what he did there? He showed us that there are rivers and waters through the waters, through the seas. Verse 17, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are, un, they are quenched like a wick. Verse 18 says, do not, rem, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me and the jackals and the ostriches because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. To give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. God always does a new thing, praise the Lord. A new thing. God does a new thing regardless of our circumstances. History is interesting, <laughs> but God does a new thing. You know, one of the things that's fascinating about the way television has gone, I've heard people say, well, we went through this before we went through it. No, we haven't because God does a new thing, beloved. This time is new. Technology is new. A lot of things are new. God is doing a new thing. Let's understand that because as we realize that we understand that God is doing a new thing because he's coming to the end and at the end, he's going to take us out. And when that happens, believe me, things are going to get crazy and there'll be seven years of that. And then God will come back to stay. Very interesting. A thousand years he'll reign. That's what I believe. I don't know what you believe, but that's what I believe from what the Bible says. Back to the scripture 22 to 26, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob. Call upon me, but you haven't. And you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain or offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Wow, that's incredible. God laments his people because they forgot about him. Oh my goodness, we must not forget about God. We must never forget our Lord and what he has done for us. Beloved, listen to me carefully. This is not the time to complain about politics. This is not the time to complain about wars, rumors of wars and all that. God said it would happen. He said this would take place. The times in which we see things happening, you know, pestilences, famines, and everything else. He said it would happen. This is the time when we must repent. We must come back to God and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin because my sin is great. Come into my heart and be the Lord. You came 2,000 years ago. You 
allowed yourself to be killed on the cross by us. But then on the third day, you rose from the dead to pay the cost of our sin. Help us, Lord, as we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is what we say. Amen. Amen means make it so. When we say amen, we're saying, may it be so. Make it happen, Lord. That's what we pray. So when we understand that God has changed us, let's not forget and let's continue to praise the Lord. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today, to go along with our reading, I'm going to be basing my study off of Isaiah chapter 44, which talks about the folly of serving idols. Now, of course, this is a popular theme all throughout the Bible, but I especially like how Isaiah 44 goes about it. It exposes the idols for just what they are, inanimate pieces of metal, wood, and stone. And it does it by explaining the process of how they were constructed. Check it out. As part of the great rebellion against the Creator God, man has continually sought to worship other gods, gods of metal, wood, and stone. Although these so-called gods can neither hear, nor see, nor know, nor save, man in his utter defiance has continued to fashion these worthless idols. In fact, in order to expose the delusion that these images somehow bear supernatural power, God many times in His Word unmasks these idols to reveal exactly what they are. Namely, lifeless, breathless, and spiritless pieces of wood, stone, and metal fashioned by the hands of men. Indeed, as the Bible informs us, these idols were casted or molded. Although this might give the impression that all idols were made of solid metal, this was not always so. In fact, normally only some of the smaller idols would be cast entirely of metal, while most of the larger ones were first made of wood or stone and then covered with plates of metal. Thus, the carpenter and metalsmith worked together. The carpenter would first take a log of wood and shape it into the desired image, and then the metalsmith would overlay it with metal plating. Isaiah 44.13 aptly describes the carpenter's process. It says the craftsman stretches out his rule, he marks out one with chalk, he fashions it with a plane, he marks it out with the compass, and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. Thus the carpenter would first trace out the image on the log of wood with chalk, and then cut and carve it into that form. Vivint Denon, in his work Travels in Egypt, gives a first-hand account of such an idol, which he found on one of the columns of the portico of Dendara. It was covered with stucco and painted, he writes. The stucco being partly scaled off gave me the opportunity of discovering lines traced as if with red chalk. Curiosity prompted me to take away the whole of the stucco, and I found the form of the figure sketched with corrections of the outline, a division into 22 parts, the separation of the thighs being in the middle of the whole height of the figure, and the head comprising rather less than a seventh part. This more modern idol is probably quite similar in construction to its ancient counterpart. The wooden image once made could be worshipped as it was, 
or it could be covered with plaster or with metal. On the other hand, the metallic outside might not always have had an interior of wood, but may sometimes have been filled with clay, as idols in India are. Clearly, these idols are not gods. They are merely the workings of man's hands, and as such are an empty and vain pursuit. And so the Lord declares, You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. So although we in the West may not have household idols in these forms, we do have our own idols and gods that we regularly put first before God. Because anything that takes our attention away from God and becomes more important than Him is an idol. Maybe it's an obsession with wealth or sports, or maybe it's our praise and worship of a celebrity or a musician or an athlete or even ourselves. But God told us in the very first of the Ten Commandments to have no other gods before him. And the second is, you shall not make for yourself an idol. So we need to remember that we as believers are servants of God first. Of course, we can enjoy things like music and sports, but we shouldn't allow it to become an obsession. Rather, we need to be obsessed with serving God and spreading the gospel as Jesus Christ instructed us to do so in his Great Commission. I th this is interesting because uh, they did a study on the U.S. and the U.S. is leading nation in the world on sports. And everybody loves sports greatly. And we need to be careful. It's not that we're against sports, but we just need to be careful not to worship it. You know, yeah. NFL yeah. and everything else. And I think even more dangerous than that is our tendency as humans to uh, worship ourselves. Mm -hmm. So this is a tendency that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Um, specifically, I want to uh, send you to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this is when uh, the prophet Samuel is chastising King Saul. Um, and Saul is like, I didn't do anything wrong. I was just, it, it's, it's really interesting. He's kind of catching him in a sin here. And in verse 23, Samuel says this, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. So arrogant, being arrogant and, and following ourselves, following our own inclinations and gut feelings and we get to decide what's right or wrong we get to pick and choose what morality is right in the bible that is that is idolatry that's treating ourselves as if we were god mm. so it you know it's it's in the bible and it still exists today which i think is really interesting so i want to continue to talk about this concept of idolatry I think it's really interesting that Isaiah chapter 44, verse 18 uh, talks about the idolater and says, they know nothing, they understand nothing, their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds are closed so they cannot understand. So Isaiah is doing something really interesting. He's saying, you become like what you worship. So if you worship God, you're gonna become more like God. But when you worship these things, when you worship yourself, when you worship idols, it actually hardens your understanding. It dulls your senses. And interestingly enough, this is reflected in the New Testament, which we're going to talk about. First, let's take a look at idol statues in particular. The Bible is very clear on its position on using idols in worship. The early history of Genesis shows the practice as unacceptable to God, which is then outright stated in the books of the law. Despite this, the practice continued in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, being spoken against strongly by the prophets of God, and included in the moral evaluation of a king's reign was whether or not he tried to rid the land of idolatry. 
Today, many idols from the biblical time period have been found, and even in some cases, documents outlining their construction and installation ceremonies. Idols could be made of wood or stone overlaid in sheets of hammered gold and silver, or they could be cast of metal. Whatever material was used, it was seen as sacred or sacredly sourced. In Babylon, the wood was believed to touch all aspects of the world, heaven through its branches, earth through its trunk, and the underworld through its roots. Idols were even crafted on sacred ground in a temple precinct. Idol creation was taken very seriously as people believed the idol represented the deity being worshipped. Not that the idol was always thought to capture the god's exact likeness, but it represented certain aspects of their nature. The deity was then admonished through a ceremony to come possess or indwell the statue so that man could show his utmost dedication. In Babylon, this ceremony, called the washing of the mouth, took two days, involved sacrifices, chants, and craftsmen renouncing any responsibility in creating the idol. Idols were clothed in the most costly garments, often dyed blue and purple, sometimes with gold woven through and used as buttons and decoration. Golden jewelry and earrings were also given to and worn by idols. The best portions of food and wine were daily laid before temple idols, after which, at least in Babylon, the sacred food was given to the king to consume. The principle of giving the best of the land to the deities so that they would favor the king and people. With any sort of shame or physical deterioration, it was believed that a god would remove its presence from an idol, so there were many rules and regulations revolving around their care, a practice mocked by both Isaiah and Jeremiah for its futility. So really interesting, again, from our reading, our assigned reading today, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 18, where Prophet Isaiah is saying that when we worship things other God, other than God, it dulls our senses. It, it makes it so that we can't see, we can't understand, we can't hear. And this theme is picked up by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. And I would encourage you to go to Romans chapter one and read it when he's describing people who have rejected God and they and as, as a concept even, and they're just serving themselves. Specifically, the line that, that I always think of is he says, their foolish hearts are darkened. They can no longer understand anything. So this theme carries through. It's a fundamental problem in humanity. Very good. Excellent. Janice? Yes. And just to carry on with this theme, and thank you both, uh, Ryan and Corey, for your segments. They're so powerful and add so much dimension. And I called my segment today, Witnesses, based on Isaiah 43 and actually verses 10 and 12. But I want to give you a definition of witness in its verb form. It's to have knowledge of an event or change from personal observation or experience. You might say, well, of course, Janice, but listen to that again. To be a witness in its verb form, in its action, is to have knowledge of an event or a change from personal observation or experience. And this putting God first in your life, coming to the decision that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and I want to ask for his forgiveness, I believe that he died on the cross and I want him to take away my sin. I want to turn away from that and be filled with God's Holy Spirit so that I can be led and taught how to change my life to follow God. I want to get his word into my heart, into my head and apply it into my life. I want to receive the gift of eternal life that God has given to me. And when that happens, something changes and we have 
the knowledge of an event or a change because the event is Christ and the change comes in me. And it doesn't happen all at once. My forgiveness comes, but then it's a lifelong discipline of coming to God every day and recognizing him as God, not me, but humbling myself, seeing my life, my heart in light of who God is and that he in his grace and his mercy says, come to me and I will forgive you of your sins. And that's what we do. We come to him. So I want to read Isaiah 43, 10 and 12, where God says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. There was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. That's the declaration that God makes. And that's what we have to decide whether we believe that declaration or not. Verse 12, the very, very similar. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it? So we have been redeemed. Those of us that have said, yes, Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross, that the shedding of your blood is what frees me from my sin. And only you can pay that price. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart and help me today. I want to commit my life to turn away from sin. I want to put your word in my, in my heart. I want to apply it in my life. Holy Spirit, fill me in my life and help me. Help me to learn, to know your ways and to follow you. When we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, God's son, we are his witnesses. How are we doing with that, brother and sister? Are we living and applying God's word, not just in our words, but more importantly, in our actions, how we live, what we say, how we encourage? We are God's witnesses. Let's make sure we are representing our Lord Jesus Christ the way he wants us to. We need to pray today at the end of the program, and I felt in my heart uh, as I was preparing for this program that we need to pray for everyone going through the inflation and the economy troubles and everything else. Father, I pray today, there are many people, they don't have anything, but Lord, I pray that your people, they're never begging for bread because that's not what they do. What they do is pray. And Lord, we come to you and say, Father, help us today to, to have food on our table and take care of our needs. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen.